8, Part 3, from the sermon series, Acts of the Holy Spirit, spoken by Pastor David Hosang. It's great to see that you die-hard folks have braved the weather today. If you haven't seen many pastors around, it's not because of the winter weather or because of the government shutdown. We're not government employees. Pastor Peter just came back early this morning and he leaves for the midwinter conference of our denomination right at this time and she's either preparing or being interviewed for her final hurdle to be ordained. Pastors Kevin and Sunita left yesterday and Pastors Shirley, Doug and Mike are doing their time in taking courses towards their ordination. Also, Pastors Clay and IJ are away with 70 plus junior hires and high schoolers on a retreat with a focus on beloved. And God's doing some significant things in terms of transformation of lives there. And we just continue to pray for them as they journey back later today. So perhaps it will be a good time to have a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are here. You're here at all times. Regardless of how many people are here, your Holy Spirit is here. And so we welcome you. We think of all our shepherds who are away today. We pray particularly for Ansi as she is now either being interviewed or is preparing to be interviewed to be recognized as a covenant church pastor. We pray that you refresh them. But we also pray that even right now, as you have brought us here for purpose, that your Holy Spirit would be welcome in our midst, that we'd be alert and sensitized and sensitive to the promptings of your Spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Kevin led us through a church situation in part of Acts chapter eight, which illustrates that happenings in the church are sometimes stranger than fiction. This involved a certain character known as Simon the Sorcerer, who was so impressed by God's superior power operating through Philip, that when Peter and John came to Samaria, laid their hands on the new Samaritan converts who presumably exhibited signs of the early Jewish Pentecost by speaking in tongues, Simon offered money so that he could do the same thing that Peter just did in the laying on of hands. To get Simon's attention, Peter told them that he could go to hell with all his money for presumptuously believing that the power of God is for sale, like some of our televangelists seem to communicate today. The threefold evangelistic message to Simon and to us was in the simple form of the diagnosis, a sinful heart. Simon and all of us have sinful hearts. Then there was a prescription what we need to do is have a repentant heart. And then finally, the cure, we need to have a forgiven heart 
by putting our faith and trust in Jesus. So last week's passage dealt with a bad gospel story of Jesus received negatively. Thankfully, this week's passage deals with a good gospel story of Jesus received positively. It also deals with the powerful activity of the Holy Spirit in the lives of the early Christians. It sometimes illustrates that when things are going great, the Holy Spirit may tell us to take a hike. Almost five years ago, Pastor Peter invited Betty and me to lead a Bible seminar and a staff retreat here at Metro. While leading a regular staff meeting one Tuesday at the office, Betty, my wife, suffered a major heart attack. Thanks to Uber Shirley and co-pilot Clay, as well as the excellent staff at Inglewood Hospital, just up the, uh, the hill, including cardiologist and cardiothoracic surgeon Gold White, God spared Betty's life. But when we returned to comfortable, warm Orange County, California, after an extended stay in New York and New Jersey, because Betty had to recover sufficiently to travel, we did some deeper assessment of our lives as kingdom builders. In all this processing, there was a seed of what I call holy discontent, plus a vision of exciting potential of blending the wisdom and experience of the old with the passion and energy of the young here, a vision which Pastor Peter shared. When I first mentioned to Betty that during my times of prayer and in the word, I heard the Spirit prompting us to go to New Jersey. Her first response was, are you sure? <laughs> that may have been partially due to the fact that we had a strong community of family and friends in Orange County. Her consideration of the fierce East Coast winters and recollection of those long extra hours spent with Pastor Peter while she was recovering here. If we weren't sure, it didn't help that when we first arrived here to stay and told clerks in the office that we were here from Southern California, their initial response was, why? Why are you here? But we sense God's spirit leading us here for a purpose. And while there have been times of exhaustion and exasperation, there have been also times of excitement and exhilaration confirming our call here for the season, however short or long this may be. In today's passage, we see the Holy Spirit giving instructions to one of the leaders of the early church. As we read it, we notice that these instructions were very vague and even counterintuitive. The passage is significant because it reports the spread of the gospel not only from Jews to half-Jewish Samaritans, but to a Gentile, a black African. It is a precursor to what we call the Gentile Pentecost, which occurs in Acts chapter 10, which you shall see in a few weeks, with the conversion of the Roman centurion Cornelius and his household. So let's turn our Bibles 
to Acts chapter 8, verses 26 to 40. These verses will be also be flashed on our screen. Acts chapter 8. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting on his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is a passage the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up and went out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all towns until he reached Caesarea. This is the word of the Lord. For purposes this morning, we're going to look at the story, bearing in mind that many good gospel stories involve three major characters. Here, a good gospel story involves one, the sovereign savior, two, a spirit-led servant, and three, a sincere seeker. So here's our approach this morning. We will look at the story as the story unfolds, but shift our focus on each character as they take center stage in the story. It's like shifting focus in the current TV series, This Is Us, and on one of the major networks, from dad to mom to their three children. Now, if you have difficulty multitasking, just focus on two characters. The main character and one of the two minor characters with whom you identify more, the Christian servant or the non-Christian seeker. So let's now look at the first character, the main character who happens to be the real hero of this and other Bible stories and who appears 
in scene one of the story. The main character is none other than the sovereign savior, whose first of two major roles in the story is as the author director. Note in verse 26, it says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So as to the identity of an angel of the Lord, in the book of Acts, an angel of the Lord is mentioned in two jailbreaks, Peter and John, which we saw earlier on. Later on, uh, uh, Peter himself imprisoned to be killed. And then an angel of the Lord also appears also in the death of evil Herod who wanted to have Peter killed. So essentially, an angel denotes the supernatural presence to humans, the supernatural presence and activity of God. Here in this passage, no distinction seems to be made between an angel of the Lord, here in verse 26, and the spirit in verse 29, telling Philip to go up to the chariot, and the spirit of the Lord in verse 39, whisking Philip away after his mission was accomplished. The angel's instructions are both specific and vague. It's like an angel telling you to drive down Highway 95 from Inglewood to, God, to Newark. So Philip is instructed, take a hike, a long hike from Samaria to get to the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now whether this Gaza was the old or new Gaza, it was a long hike. It was at least 50 miles long. It was either desert, it was it was either desert or deserted road. Now enters the second character who appears in scene one. This person is a spirit-led servant in the person of Philip, with first characteristic as credible. Philip was credible. He was credible because of who he was. He was one of the seven Greek-speaking Jews appointed to the church's food pantry. His qualification was that he was full of the spirit and wisdom. He was an ideal kingdom builder. And the question that God has to you and me is, what does God say about my credibility? What does God say about your credibility? What do others say about my credibility? What do others say about your credibility? Philip was also credible in not who he was, but also what he did. He took risks, he shared the gospel with people he or his people didn't like, the Samaritans. He was spirit empowered in his preaching, his exorcisms, and his healing. He was patient in dealing with this annoying sycophant, Simon the sorcerer. And I guess the question to us is, what does God say about your serving? Are you serving him or yourself? Are you serving in God's power? Or are you serving in your own power? Philip was also credible. Philip was credible, but he was also cooperative. Notice in verse 26 and 27, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go to the south, go to the road, go south to the road 
the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met, and we, we go on. So the basic instruction was, Philip, I want you to take a hike. Now, logically, Philip had every reason to object to this instruction. He could have said, life's good here. I'd rather have a flourishing ministry. Why should I go? It's too far. It's too hot. It's too deserted. But Philip started out immediately. His obedience was instant and full. And we recall that delayed obedience is disobedience, and partial obedience is also disobedience. Notice also Philip continues instant obedience in the story, and later on in verse 29 and 30, the Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And Philip ran up to the chariot. So, what's your cooperative quotient with God? For God to use me and to use you fully, we need to be fully cooperative. And so if you're asking a question, God, why aren't you using me fully? The answer may be because you're not being fully obedient to me or because you're being willfully disobedient to me. Now enters the third and final character in our story. A sincere seeker in the person of an Ethiopian eunuch with the first quality as ripe. Let me explain. Let's read verse 27b to 28. An Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home, he was sitting on the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. He was an Ethiopian. He was probably a black man, not from modern day Ethiopia, but from Nubia, the ancient Nubian empire or the Sudan. He was a eunuch, probably a castrated male, missing two vital nuts in the plumbing. And in the ancient Near East, it was obviously common practice to have eunuchs serve in positions of state. For example, in charge of a king's harem, as we find in the book of Esther in the Old Testament. In charge of the country's, country's, country's finances, as we have here. He was an important official. He was like the minister of finance or secretary of the treasury to the Kandake queen mother. Kandake, or some Bible translations of Candace, is not a name, but it's a title of the queen. Some background is that the king of Ethiopia was venerated as a child of the sun and regarded as too sacred to discharge secular functions of office. So these duties were performed on his behalf by the queen mother. Here we have a case of a woman doing the important work. As a eunuch, this man was subjected to social as well as religious stigmas. For example, eunuchs were not allowed full membership in the congregation of Israel according to the law in Deuteronomy. So this eunuch was probably not a circumcised, baptized, gentile proselyte, 
but what we call a Gentile God-fearer of Israel. Though he had a respectable job, he was a marginalized outsider, somewhat of an outcast, second-class citizen, like some of us feel we are, rightly or wrongly. But he was attracted to the God of Jews and the Jewish way of life. More importantly, he was ripe for salvation. How do you know he is ripe? Here are a few evidences. He was a devout religious pilgrim to Jerusalem. He probably had just visited Jerusalem at one of the major Jewish festivals. He was a genuine seeker. He had obtained a rare scroll of the Jewish scripture in Greek. We know this because of the Old Testament verses read and quoted here closer to the Greek than the Hebrew text. He was reading a language that was foreign to him, Greek and not Ethiopic or Meriotic. He was reading in a less than comfortable wagon while traveling on a bumpy, dusty road. He was reading stuff that he had difficulty understanding, period. Now, if you're here today, not merely attending church out of tradition, not hoping that you'll earn some spiritual brownie points with God, not checking out the meat market, but because you have a deep, even desperate hunger for God with clear evidence of this hunger, today could be your day of salvation. So our focus now shifts back to a spirit-led servant whom we already have seen is credible and cooperative. He was also close. Verse 29 and 30, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. Philip was close in at least two ways. He was close to God. Recall the early description where the spirit of God was able, the angel of the Lord was able to speak to him and he listened. Here, Philip responds very quickly to the call of the Spirit of God to go close to the chariot. And I guess the question to me and to you is, how close am I? How close are you to God that even when the Spirit whispers words of instructions, we can hear it? Being close to God usually means full obedience and active service like Philip. Philip was not only close to God, but he was close to seekers. He was near enough to be accessible, right behind the chariot. He was near enough to observe and to hear. And just by way of explanation, it was universal practice in the ancient world to read out aloud. So Philip actually heard what the Ethiopian was reading. Partially because it was difficult to read, the very dense joined handwritten text so it was difficult to read the text where everything ran together and it was handwritten. And so another question to me and to you is, how close am I in being accessible, observant, and able to communicate to seekers? So Philip was not only close, but he was clear in his communication as we see in verse 35. Then Philip began 
with that very passage of scripture, Isaiah 53, seven and eight, and told him the good news about Jesus. Firstly, Peter had a clear understanding of his faith. Philip knew the Bible as the story, as his story of redemption. Philip had a good understanding of scripture, of theology and apologetics. How about you and me? Do you know, do you know, do you know? If not, you have an opportunity of knowing some basics in the two courses that we're offering this quarter. Justice and mercy is not merely a political issue for good people, but a necessary issue for Christians because it is important to God. Old Testament for novices, not for you to become nerdy about the Bible, but to become more familiar with the 39 love letters that God has written of the 66 to us and to learn more about our story of salvation. Sign-ups are outside and uh, Wesley mentioned that actually classes start next week. We have been having sign-ups um, earlier on and um, if you're worried, you won't miss Super Bowl Sunday um, for classes. Philip was not only clear in understanding, but he was clear in communication. Obviously, verse 35 is a summary statement of Philip sharing the gospel. He obviously shared how this Old Testament passage in Isaiah 53 and other passages were fulfilled in Jesus, the promised Messiah. He undoubtedly shared like Pastor Kevin did last Sunday, the simple story of salvation. The diagnosis of sin, all we like sheep have gone astray. The prescription for repentance made possible through Jesus, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. The cure of forgiveness, by his wounds we are healed. We'll come to more of that very shortly. So moving back, our focus from the servant to the seeker. Sincere seeker, we saw first that he was ripe, but he was also real. Verse 31, when Philip asked him if he understands, he says, how can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me? He was honest in saying, I don't get it. He was humble in saying, I need help. If you're honest and humble in your questions about Jesus and the gospel, this is a good sign that you're well on the road to receiving Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Not only was he real, but he was receptive. Verse 31, last part of it. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He was hospitable enough to invite Philip to come and sit in the empty seat in his chariot. And if you're hospitable enough to meet a Christian over a coffee or over a meal, to chat about what it means to become and be a Christian, you may be close and ready to say yes to the Savior. So what's the basic good news of the Savior? Well, I'm glad you asked. The gospel is not only the good news of the sovereign savior as the author director of the grand story, 
but is also about the sovereign savior as the hero sufferer. Notice the passage read in verses 32 and 33. This is a passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. This is part of the famous messianic chapter of Isaiah 53 and a quotation of verses seven and eight. For you classical buffs, Handel's Messiah uses the full text of the verses before that, Isaiah 53 verses three to six in his score. More importantly, Jesus applied this and other Old Testament suffering passages to himself as the Messiah. For example, in Mark 10:45, he said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many, to suffer. Luke 22, 37, Jesus actually says, Isaiah 53, 12, or he quotes Isaiah 53, 12, and he said, this is a fulfillment of me. In Luke 25, 25 24, 25 to 27, he appears to these two devastated disciples on the road to Emmaus, and he said to them, in essence, you dumb bunnies, don't you know the scripture prophesied the Messiah's sufferings before his glory? Now we know that Jesus' interpretation of the Old Testament passages was unique. The Jews interpreted the passage in Isaiah 53 as the nation of Israel or the faithful remnant of Israel, but definitely not as an individual. Besides, to the Jews, the concept of a suffering Messiah was totally out of the question. Now the journey home was a long one and probably more than these two verses of Isaiah 53 were read, perhaps the entire chapter. But let's just reflect briefly on the, these two verses that we just read with the background of the arrest, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension, and the return of Jesus in mind. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. Jesus was like a submissive, unresisting sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Like a silent lamb, Jesus was urged to speak and defend himself, but he held his tongue even though he was innocent of the charges. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Jesus' crucifixion represents a horrible, humiliating miscarriage of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? Jesus' death and resurrection has led to multitudes of spiritual descendants. For his life was taken from the earth. Jesus' life, yes, was taken from the earth, but now he's resurrected, ascended, and poised to return to earth. So basically my urgent appeal to all of us is, know the story of the Savior well, and this means 
knowing the word of God well. But more important to knowing the story of the Savior well, know the Savior of the story well, which means knowing the God of the word well. We now take a final look at the sincere seeker who was ripe, real, receptive, but he was also ready. The eunuch said, ask Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? This eunuch was not merely curious, but he was hungry. And note that while he was a novice in reading scriptures, he recognizes that this passage refers not to a group, but to an individual. If you're hungry to know who Jesus is and what he did, evidence perhaps by your even reading in the Gospels right now or one of the Gospels, you may be ready to receive Jesus. Seek was not only ready, but he was responsive. Note verse 36 to 38. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. True belief leads to right action. This eunuch God-fearer was probably familiar with the meaning and practice of baptism. Some of you may have verse 37 in your Bible translations. It appears in some later, less reliable manuscripts and probably reflects an earlier baptismal confession. Verse 37 reads, Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. The eunuch answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. This eunuch was then baptized in a nearby pool of water, sovereignly provided by God himself. He obeyed Jesus' instructions. He obeyed the practice of the church. So if you're a Christian, you ought to be baptized. If you're not yet baptized, let us know, and we'll make it happen, even though it's a lot of work getting the baptismal tub here, we'll make it happen. Finally, our sincere seeker was rejoicing. And the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Romans 14, 17 tells us that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Salvation and spiritual birth brings real joy instantly or eventually. Just ask any Christian here about their salvation story or recall your salvation story of joy. As to what happened to the Ethiopian eunuch, we're not quite sure. Though church tradition from Irenaeus tells us that he became a missionary to Ethiopia and outlying areas. And finally, we focus on a spirit-led servant who is not only credible, cooperative, close and clear, but also continuing. Verse 39 and 40. When they came up to the water, 
the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again. But he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared in Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Philip continued in his service for God. He's now relocated to Azotus, but he doesn't take a vacation there. He continues his evangelistic ministry from there all the way up the Mediterranean coast until he gets to Caesarea, where, which became his home for him and his family. He continued in service, but he also continued in growth and transformation. About 20 years later, he appears in Acts 21, eight and nine, which we shall come to in, in a few months. He's called the evangelist and one of the seven. He's now a spiritually successful family man with four unmarried daughters who are all serving God as prophetesses. And for us as Christians, our story does not end with our conversion. Our story does not end with a season of exciting ministry in our early days. Our story continues in a, in a living relationship with God and in sharing the good news. I was gonna share the story, and I probably just to give you the sketchy details. Uh, in our complex, we have a guardhouse. And um, I was just thinking of doing the easy thing by just dropping it off and having them put it in the, the guards' mailboxes. But somehow, I just sensed the Spirit of God prompt me and said, you know, you just need to go and you need to at least talk to these people, tell them how much you appreciate the service. And so um, I went a little bit early, um, prompted by the Spirit, but also prompted by my wife. And sometimes, you know, the Spirit and the wife are that you should do it early so that they could have time to enjoy the, the, the gift they could spend at Christmas. So long and short of the story is that I go over there and find out that for this particular person, his mama just died. And, his, and her funeral was actually that week. And um, as we talked, um, I found it appropriate to pray for him. And uh, his mom is clearly, uh, was clearly a believer, very connected to the church. Right now, I'm not quite sure where he stands. But after we left, he said, thank you for the gift, but thank you even more for the prayer. And um, this journey continues. He may be a believer. He may be one who is not walking with God now. He may not yet be a believer. But God has placed people like him in my life to be a good witness to him. And God has placed people in your life for you to be witnesses to them as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the story of salvation. Thank you that from the beginning to the end, you are the scriptwriter and director of this salvation story from Genesis to Revelation. Your son is also the, the suffering savior who died in our place for our sins so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be reconciled to you. And Father, in this group, in this room, 
There may be some who are still seekers. And I pray, Father, that if this is the day of salvation, they would say yes to you. And Father, for most of us here, we're your servants. We pray that we would be alert, spirit-led servants who are obedient to you instantly and fully so that when you speak, even in the softest of whispers, we can hear your voice. So thank you for your spirit who is here. Thank you for the ways that you have spoken to each of us uniquely and individually. May we respond to you in glad obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's take a bulletin and look at some of the next steps that we can possibly take. Not all of them, but God has spoken to each of us individually and uniquely. Firstly, I'm saying yes to Jesus as my Savior and Lord for the first time. And if you've uh, done so, check that off. We'd be glad to know. But also stop by the next table. We have a Bible and some helpful literature that will help you to get established on your journey with the Lord. Secondly, I'm committing to being baptized as a Christian in obedience to Jesus' instructions. If you're not baptized, then this is the time to say, I need to obey Jesus. Thirdly, I will become a more credible witness for Jesus by addressing character and lifestyle issues in my life this week. Fourthly, I will be alert to the Spirit's promptings this week about communicating the good news to someone. Fifthly, I will sign up for an MIT course to help me understand and communicate the good news more clearly. And sixthly, I will attend Connections Dinner on February 10th to explore commitment to Metro as my spiritual home. <laughs>